0: This is Bucket Talk, a weekly podcast for people who work in the trades and construction that aren't just trying to survive, but have the ambition and desire to thrive. The opportunity in the trades and construction is absolutely ridiculous right now. So if you're hungry, it's time to eat. We discuss what it takes to rise from the bottom to the top with people who are well on their way and roll up their sleeves every single day.
1: on this episode of bucket talk we have billy Cornelius. he is our uh timber sports athlete we just signed him this year um hell of a guy but we're gonna go deep into the world of nurseries and forest management and then on to the world of timber sports billy welcome yeah thanks jeremy
0: glad to be oh, yeah. here
1: <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome So you joined us, um, early this year, you came down to the brunt garage. Um, we talked about doing a timber sports sponsorship, Longtime brunt supporter. Um, we jumped into that world of, of, uh, you know, from woodsman's day up in Freiburg to the steel, uh, championship out in uh, Milwaukee. And, uh, but one of the cool things we never really got to dive into is your day job and how you got into it. Um, Kind of go as far back as, uh, you know, high school, childhood, how you how you chose this path um, and what you do on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, I kind of came to forestry and timber sports kind of in a pretty indirect uh, way. Um, and so early on, you know, I mean, I grew up like basically living outside all the time out in the woods. Uh, you know, hunting, fishing with my dad, um, you know, pretty much outside all the time. You know, um, I always remember, I think it was when I was either eight or nine, I saved up my allowance money and I went down to the hardware store and I bought myself a little hatchet and, uh, you know, and I went out and I, I cut my first tree down, right? And I like had a journal and I actually wrote about that in my journal. I was like, oh, I bought an axe and today I cut a tree down. Um, you know, and that was like a big thing for me. Um, but you know, growing up, uh, I actually got into agriculture, um, helped a lot of buddies do haying and stuff, you know, in my teenage years. Um, and then, uh, when I graduated high school, you know, like I wasn't about, uh, just going to college, right? Like most kids just go to college. Um, and I was like, I really don't know what I would go to college for. So, you know, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to work. Um, you know, because at that point, I just didn't really get the point of why you would want to go to college. Yeah. Um, so I actually went and worked on a dairy farm uh, for about four and a half years, uh, milking cows, uh, you know, helping with all the crop work, um, you know, anything on the farm. And um after about four four and a half years, you know the the farmer was like, "Hey, you know, this is like the maximum of what I can pay you um and I was like, "Oh, okay, you know, like well, that's not gonna be enough to live on <laughs> and um you know at that time, I was also had gotten into maple sugaring um on the side, you know, and was doing a couple hundred taps on my own um you know and selling the syrup and uh so had a big interest in maple sugaring. And so I was like, well, I was like, maybe I should go back to college um, and started kind of looking at some different college stuff and uh, found a forest technology program down at the University of New Hampshire, um, just an associates program. And, uh, you know, and I was like, wow, that really, really seems interesting. Like, you know, I could learn more about trees and maybe tie it into maple sugaring. Um, so I, I wrote an email to the professor, uh, chatted with him, and uh, ended up signing up uh, to go to college. So there I was, a uh, freshman in college in 2008 at the age of 22, I think. Uh, you know, so about the time most kids would be graduating from college, I was just starting. Um, so that was an interesting experience being in with a bunch of 18-year-olds, but... Um, but yeah, so I went and uh, studied forestry there at the University of New Hampshire, um, and then um, during that time also got uh, hooked up with the UNH Woodsman's team there, and that's kind of where my start of timber sports uh, came about. And you know, we could probably touch on that a little bit later.
1: Now that's now that's crazy. Um, I want to unpack a few things early on. Yeah. Um one of the Now, we haven't touched like the early days um, because like so my kids are looking at like 4-H or the FFA, the FFA programs and like the stuff early on. And I I think there's a lot of parents that are listening to this and like, how do I get my kids involved in agriculture or livestock? Um, Were you involved in any of those programs going up? Like, um, you know, you said you had an affinity for agriculture and that that way. But like, how do you. How'd you go pursue that as a, as a young child? Was it just through like outdoor management with like hunting and fishing or was it more than that?
0: Yeah. Um, no, I was, I was never part of, uh, 4-H or FFA or anything like that. Um, I was actually, uh, I went to public school through third grade and then I was actually homeschooled, uh, fourth grade all the way through high school. Okay. Uh, you know, so a little bit of a different situation there. Um, but yeah, I never really did any 4-H or anything, but through the homeschool, uh, community, um, a lot of those folks were, were more into agriculture up here. Um, so some of our close friends, uh, you know, their boys were just a couple of years older than me and they all had, you know, old antique tractors and they were out doing haying and, um, you know, driving old Chevy single axle dump trucks and, uh, you know, loading hay and those. So, um, yeah, I yeah. got in with them, and that was kind of how I got into the farming. And, um, yeah, you know, I just thought it was really good. I mean, it's, uh, I've always been someone who I work hard, you yeah. know, yeah. so I'm not someone to just sit around on the couch, and hard work has always, uh, entertained me and, uh, you know, it's, it's what draws me to most of the things that I do is that it's a lot of hard work. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. No, yeah. and then <laughs> uh, Another thing that I wanted to bring up, um, was a lot of people talk about, um, not going to college because college is a waste of time. But what a lot of people don't realize is up here, you main, um, you know, UNH, and then obviously there's a, a lot of those in the upper Midwest and, and out west but there's a lot of agriculture programs there's a lot of um you know livestock management programs um through these uh through these colleges and i actually know a couple of buddies of a, a cow farmer friend of mine um got into the science side of of cows and ended up working for um a company called idex and uh dealt in in cow management and what have you and that and that worked alongside with what he did um at home managing a herd and and producing uh beef cows so that was pretty cool to see that like hey you know maybe a traditional college route might not be the 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 way for you but um there are a lot of ag programs and a lot of uh livestock management programs that are that are at some of these colleges. So definitely something to keep an eye out for if that's if that's the interest you want to go.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Um definitely. And and let me just jump back just a second to 4H and FFA. While I wasn't involved, um you know, actually now with my job, I kind of get some involvement with 4H and, you know, I I really support, you know, 4H FFA as as like a way to get get kids into agriculture get them into the outdoors and and they also have such a wide array of programs that even go beyond agriculture right, right? right. it's it's delving more into electronics and stuff like that so th- those groups are definitely great um yeah and then and then with college um you know yeah there there's a lot of great colleges out there um you know that have technical more outdoorsy or, you know, mechanic type, um, you know, positions and, and programs that can help direct you in the right way. And no. was, you know, that was one of the things that really interested me about uh, the University of New Hampshire. And so I actually went to the Thompson School, right, which is their, their associates um, program. And so the forestry program there, they've kind of altered it a little bit since I've been there. Um, but when I was there, you know it's a two-year program. They required you to do an internship uh, in the summer in between the two years, so you're getting practical experience. And you know, one of their big things that they touted was for every two hours that you spent in the classroom, you were spending four hours outside in a lab actually applying what you're learning. Um, and and it was it's one of those things of, in the general forestry and logging sawmill industry here in New, New Hampshire and New England, um, most uh, companies would rather hire someone with an associate's degree out of the Thompson School than they would someone out of a four-year program, uh, just because someone could graduate from the Thompson school and they've done so much hands-on lab work that they could go and basically go to work the first day that they show up on a new job. Um, You know, whereas a four-year student, a lot of times, spends a lot more time actually learning stuff in the classroom, but they haven't gotten the chance to apply that. Um, So that's that's what I love about the Thompson School and about some of those community colleges and smaller programs, is it allows you to apply, and then you can translate that into the workforce much quicker.
1: All right, so, uh, so, so, so um there's, there's a, uh, a part of your upbringing that I really want to get into, and for those who have been up in the Northeast, the New England area, and I don't know how far it goes um, across the country, but... Um, around this time of year, you'll see tubes running from tree to tree, and um, you're like, "What the heck is that?" Well, um uh, they're actually tapping the maples to then draw the—I I don't even know what you call it—is it just because you boil it down into sugar? But yeah, what, just is it that. just sap. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, yep. so the sap runs down, gravity-fed, to usually like a sugar shack or something like that, where it's collected and then boiled off and uh so up here it's maple syrup and um, I've always wanted to do it, but never understood the process. How'd you get into that? That's like, I mean, that's something yeah. I definitely want to do. I yeah. tapped the wrong tree or something to be honest. <laughs> well, you can come up and identify it for you. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah so, so just a quick correction. Uh, maple sugaring season is actually in the spring. Oh, okay. uh, not in the fall. Um, but, but once the leaves fall, you can see a lot of the tubing and stuff. So it, it kind of catches your eye or you can't see it in the summertime.
1: Thank, thanks. Thanks oh, for, gosh. thanks for covering my ass. On that. <laughs> but,
0: um, but yeah, no, I mean, I got started in that, um, again through the homeschool community. So we had some friends who, uh, did some maple sugaring and I think, you know, geez, I mean, that, that's a long time ago now, but, um, I can't remember if we went over to their place and saw them doing it. And, uh, I got interested that way or what exactly it was, but, um, you know, I, I started small, um, got a little flat pan. I think it's like a two by two, uh, flat pan had it up on some cinder blocks and just lit a fire underneath it and had about 10 trees tapped and, you know, boiled down, uh, syrup and, um, I think uh, the, the one thing with maple sugaring is that you either try it and you're like, this is way too much work. I'll just go buy it at the store.
1: Yeah. Or
0: you try it and then you're like, this is really cool. Um, and then the problem is, is that you continue to get bigger. Um, and so that's what happened with me. You know, I started with 10 taps that maybe lasted one or two years and then I jumped up to 25 and then I jumped up to a hundred and then, you know, I went out and bought like an actual professional evaporator, um, you know, and built myself a little sugar house. And then I jumped up to like 150 and then 200 <laughs> taps. Right. So it's like, it's one of those things. that it's like, you just get the bug and it's, and it's one of those processes where, you know, it takes a long time. And that's, that's the thing, right. With a little flat pan, like what you would probably do. In your backyard, it would take, you know, it takes a long time because it takes at least 40, you know, usually 40 to 50 gallons of sap to make one gallon of syrup. So most people just doing a few taps in their backyard aren't even gonna make a gallon of syrup, you know. But then I'm like, well, I could be sitting out here for eight hours on my Saturday or probably more like 10 or 12, honestly. And I could make a quart of maple syrup or I could be sitting out here with a big rig and lots of taps and I could sit out here for 10 hours and I could make 10 gallons of syrup. And I'm like, well, what, what sounds more efficient to me? you know? So it's like, might as well get bigger.
1: That's, that's <laughs> the good syrup, um, it's, it's, it's funny because that's where I am with like egg production right now is like, you know, a couple of chickens wasn't enough so then we like went all in and now we have more eggs than we know what to do with. And we're giving them away. And yeah, um, yeah. it's, it's wild because yeah. I could only imagine that that's where you you were at with, uh, with sugaring is like, you're just giving out gallons. There's not yeah. enough pancakes for you to put them on. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But then it was funny because then I ended up going to college, you know, and I kind of studied forestry because of my interest in maple sugaring and then I was so busy at college, I ended up not maple sugaring. I sold all my stuff, and I've never done it since then. <laughs> oh no. So, but at the same time, I've thought about it a couple times, and I'm like, it's gonna be the same situation, right? I'll be like, <laughs> oh, I'm just gonna do 20 taps, and then the next thing, I'll have a thousand, you know. <laughs> you so. out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: So, um, fast forward, you know, you graduated um the thompson school and you're now in forestry management what the fuck does that mean like what is what is that involved Uh, like i'm just trying to understand it like are you planning out forests or you know i know a little bit um, my wife was in the hardwood flooring industry and she did um um you know their wood products came from pennsylvania which was like my cat joined the podcast um the so it it was funny because they talk about like deforesting and, and you know, how, how it's a bad thing. And, but a lot of these, a lot of these sustainable forests, um, they actually have a plan for regenerative growth for it to be, um, you know, a a lot of, a lot of um, people that own woods will find out that like you can put it in agriculture uh, zoning and then you could have like a forest management plan and there's like different degrees like just because it's a forest full of trees doesn't mean it's a healthy forest and i'm sure you can go into that and and uh what you do on a daily basis
0: yeah yeah no i mean you hit a lot of the nails on the head there um and summed it up but uh yeah i mean we could do two podcasts on this easy but uh, (laughs) I'll, i'll i'll sum it up into a few minutes but um but yeah um yeah. So kind of moving out of uh, college. So I had done an internship with a, a logging company who also had an on-staff forester. Um, mm-hmm. And so I worked with their forester for that summer in between actually worked with them a little bit during my senior year at college. Um, and when I graduated, he offered me a full-time job, um, you know, as their second forester. So um I was like, perfect. I mean, you know, I'm graduating college and here's someone offering me a job. So um, I jumped in. And so, yeah, so that was uh, doing private forestry there. And um, so, yeah, what we do is we we would work with landowners. Right. So landowners would contact us and, and the company I was working for was kind of sort of like a one stop shop. Right. So they would talk to uh, me or the other forester as um kind of the land management team and we would meet with them um you know and the first thing is is that every landowner has goals for their property right Mm -hmm. so you know it's just getting to know the landowner getting to know their land and being like you know what are your goals um you know are your goals to generate uh like solely generate revenue from your land from producing timber uh is it that you know you're into deer hunting or turkey hunting, and you want to promote wildlife habitat um, so that you have more deer on your property? Um, You know, do you want hiking trails because you like to just hike around your land? Um, But it's also not that simple, right? Because it's not just, most landowners have multiple goals, right? So a lot of times it would be all of that. Like, I want to make money, I want to enjoy my land, I want to have wildlife. Um, But the cool part is, is that proper forest management already kind of does that right so then we would work with them um, to kind of develop a plan um, you know a lot of times we would write a full forest management plan for them um, and so like a full forest management plan and include, crew includes a timber inventory so we would actually go out and do what we call timber crews um and you're taking uh samples across the property in a, in a grid format and then you can run that through computer software and it will expand it out across the acreage and tell you, you know, okay, you have X amount of white pine, X amount of red oak, um, you know, on your property, right? And then you can kind of use those to develop long-term management goals, um, you know, because that's the one thing with timber is that it's it, it can be viewed as a crop, um, but it's a long rotation crop, right, where... If you're planting corn, you're harvesting corn the same year. Uh, if you're planting a tree, you're harvesting that tree in a hundred years. Um, you know, So kind of working with the landowner to, to develop a plan for a timber harvest. And then we would actually go out, uh, mark all the trees that are gonna get cut, lay out skid trails for the logging equipment, um, you know, work out all the pricing for the different timber species with the landowner and then supervise a the timber sale, uh, you know, while it was going on with our walking crew there. Um,
1: that's crazy. Cause uh, I had 10 acres out back that's in forest that was in a forest management plan. Um, yeah. It was not kept up with, which it should have been, but it was not. Um, we actually took it out of that forest management plan so that it allows us to do what we want. There's like tax right. penalties if you end it early. Um, that being said, um when we had inquired about expanding our pasture space obviously that meant um you know cutting into the woods and 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 uh getting that taken out um what was funny is is we consulted somebody in forest management and they they came out and they're like you know people a lot of people think that just because you have a forest that it's you know somebody would come in clear cut it make you know furniture out of it he goes You'd be hard pressed to get a pulp truck in here to take it for free. <laughs> you know, yeah. what I mean? it's, yeah. like, it's like that's yeah. how much shit wood and shit growth we had yeah. in the back there. Yeah. Even though it looks like this lush environment, it's actually yeah. a po- it was a poorly kept up um, forest plan. And yeah. um, you know, it's hard for animals to be in there because it's you know it's thorny or bramble. Um, the trees are half dead because um, you know, other tree growth is, is, you know, taking the nutrients and, and resources away from them. So, um,
0: you know, with everything,
1: like with, with hunting and fishing, there's, there comes a degree of, of management to then allow the species to grow, be healthy and, uh, have enough resources in that area.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. And, and kind of like you were saying, um, you know, it's, it's so funny, so many people like see a big pine tree right and they're like well that's a huge pine tree like that's got to be worth a ton of money but it's like they don't realize the knots and the limbs on that thing are this big so it's like when you send it to a sawmill and they go to mill it out uh you know how is that going to make a board without falling apart because the knots as wide as the board is Um, you know so there's there's lumber grade standards and so you know, it's it's funny how many times you would go to someone's property, right? They'd be like, oh, yeah, "I got all this like huge, like awesome, amazing timber," and you'd go there, and it would be all junk. Um, but a lot of that is um, because of the history of New England, right? So, uh, you know, back in back in the 1860s, so like like New Hampshire, for instance, right? Right now. I think is 82 or 83% forested. Um, you know, we're the second most forested state in the, in the U S you guys up in Maine are the number one most forested state. You guys are like 1% of Yeah, Yeah. If we're 82, you guys are 83, so you're like, you know, but, um, but the thing is, if you go back to the mid 1800s, like 1860s, uh it was exactly the opposite, right? Like New Hampshire would be 82% pasture, um, you know, because it was all sheep farming up here, right? It was too That's rocky, bad. it was too That's rocky bad. to till. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, I, I can't believe how often I'm like, I'll be like two miles out in the woods, like, like just like two miles out in the woods on this property and there's a stone wall. Yeah, you know, and if there's a stone wall, it was a pasture or a field at one time, and I'm like, how the heck? Like, was someone way out here, like grazing sheep?
1: Me and my brother had this conversation, so my property was like 1790 something, right? And and I think it's 1795. I always forget the date, Um, but we have rock walls on rock walls on rock walls around the back, and it's funny that like. Now I, I don't want to get into the whole politics of of uh, you know trees and and not trees but what was Ow. an interesting fact was um, we got to see some old town pictures and it mm-hmm. was fields as Black. far as you can see yeah. right it was flat yeah. it was grass and um, yeah it was just interesting because it's like this was within the past you know couple hundred years or hundred years whatever you want to um whenever that changed over into tree growth and again unhealthy unhealthy yeah. unmanaged forest yeah
0: yeah yeah and so that's what happens is a lot of times old fields if they're just left right they'll grow back into forest but a lot of times because it's so open um different things happen to the trees right like white pines will get white pine weevils and then that's where you see the multi Uh, pine trees instead of just a single stem um you know and that happens because the pines getting too much sunlight right if it's shaded Mm -hmm. the pine weevils don't like it so they won't be there um so it's just uh, uh,
1: what's that invasive species for the hemlock that grows underneath the white uh, it's like uh yeah hemlock hemlock woolly adelgid.
0: yeah
1: yeah so we we've had to get our trees sprayed recently so that we could at least you know put it at bay i guess i guess it's a huge invasive species uh to maine and it could potentially eradicate that hemlock as we know it and now they're coming out with like um hemlocks that are scientifically engineered to be resistant to the species but um up in the lakes region which was interesting they said if the hemlock leaves the the lakes region um it'll have serious repercussions on um the fisheries and i was i was like blown away like the two didn't equate like forest water like how the hell are these two uh, equating and um yeah i do you know anything why that the eradication of the hemlock would um equate to like the fisheries population yeah so
0: really like in nature like everything is connected um you know and so everything that happens in a forest affects something else. And forests are actually really important for water quality. Um, and so if like up there, you know, if there's a large component of pure hemlock, right? So like, it's just pure hemlock. There's no other soft, like major softwood cover. If you were to lose all that, the first thing that would happen is that there would be a lot of warming going on on the soil. Right, because a conifer tree, like a hemlock, keeps its needles 365 days of the year and so provides shading on that ground. Um, so that would be providing that. And then so, you know, if you had hemlocks along, you know, and hemlocks like wetter spots, so you're going to have hemlocks along headwaters of streams, stuff like that. And then if you lose those, now more sunlight's hitting that, those streams, and so that's raising the water temperature of the streams. Um, another thing, just for regular uh, like water quality type stuff, is that softwoods are generally better for water quality than hardwoods are. Um, you know, because oaks, like your oaks species, have higher tannins in them. Um, you know, so the leaves have tannins, the trees have tannins, the acorns have tannins. Um, and so all that falls on the floor, falls on the forest floor, you know, kind of leeches in and if it gets into the water, it can make its way down into the water stream. Um, you know, so like down here around uh, Manchester, New Hampshire, right? Like you think of Manchester, New Hampshire, big city, but their public water supply is a couple big reservoirs. Um, and so they actually have Manchester Waterworks owns about, I think it's like six or eight thousand acres around those watersheds that they manage with forest management to maintain the water quality of their reservoirs. Um, you know, so so how you manage your forests can really dictate your water quality and you know a whole host of other things as well. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah
1: but <laughs> so this is what you do on a daily basis you're you're eating breathing sleeping trees and 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 yep. uh now now are you act outside of timber sports are you active in the logging or anything like that or is it more just the planning and uh, yeah at at this
0: point it's just the planning um when i was working private forestry for that company um I did do during the winter time, right when the snow is on the ground, it's a little harder to get out and do field work um, in the woods. So a lot of times I'd end up jumping in a skidder uh, or jumping in a slasher and processing wood on the landing. Um, you know, so a lot of times in the winter I'd end up jumping on a logging crew and uh, you know helping out there, um, which I always loved. I love the the opportunity to be able to get an equipment. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, everyone loves to run big equipment and, you know, Uh, you're running a big skitter that nothing can stop.
1: So I know uh, a lot of machines, but I've never heard the term slasher before. What is it?
0: Yeah. So a slasher, um, it's also kind of like a crane. So if you've ever driven by a log yard, right, where they're actually processing the wood. So a lot of logging crews are what we would call a whole tree operation, right? So they have the fellow buncher that comes in and grabs the tree, cuts it, picks it up, lays it in the ground, puts it in a bundle. Then you have the grapple skidder, which would pull that whole hitch out to yep. the log guard. But now you have those whole trees and something's got to cut them up. Um, so there's the, there's the slasher machine. So it's a big uh, like knuckle boom crane. And so that grabs it and then it has a delimmer. Typically on the front, it'll all be set up on basically like a, a log trailer uh, or like a tractor trailer bed, right? And so it'll have a dewimmer on the front, and you can pull the trees through the dewimmer and it'll automatically take all the limbs off. And then it'll have a big saw. It'll either have a big, huge harvester bar, like a chainsaw bar, or it'll have, we call them hot saws, but it's like a circular saw that runs all the time that you have it on. Um, and then that has a measuring table, so you'll take the tree, pull it in, you will know, you, be looking at the log, right, because your job is you're processing this into logs, so you have to know what the log specs are, um, and then you have to be able to look at that quickly and be like, yep, that's a saw log, nope, this is a pallet log, uh, you know, and then you pull it in for length, zip it off. Um, you know, set that aside and then so you're just there processing all day processing hitches and then when trucks are coming in then you're loading the trucks or running wood through the chipper to load the chip trucks. Um, yeah, so it's fun, you know, it's a lot of swinging back and forth and uh, it's always crazy because, you know, it, it's, it's like an excavator sort of because you're sitting there you have joysticks, but in a crane, you have foot pedals for rotating right so you know you hit your left foot you'll turn left You hit your right foot to turn right so i like never ran an excavator i always i learned how to run you know a, a log crane and a slasher and stuff and then one day i had to rent an excavator to do some work at my house and i was <laughs> like the guy's like oh yeah you know how to run this i'm like oh yeah i've run all kinds of equipment you know and i get in the thing and i'm like sitting out there i'm looking like I'm like some city slicker like I'm just you know I'm like spinning around and I'm like you know every time because it's like the operation to like open or close your grapple is like the rotate for an excavator so I'm like sitting there and I'm like trying to you know and I'm like just fighting with the excavator because I'm like I want to do this and then I'm like spinning to the side and <laughs> it's like it's like oh man <laughs> it's,
1: it is it is funny and I, I can't I can't necessarily equate it to something but um, it is funny that, you know, a lot of times it's easy to teach somebody who has no experience on something yeah. because yeah. you don't have to unlearn what they. Ha- a lot of times it's bad habits, but it could be a different machine or or what happens. Oh, yeah. so that's yep. that's hysterical because like, it, yep. you're you've learned one way to do something and then you get into another piece of machinery that has similar controls and they have different functions completely. Oh yeah, that's awesome. yeah. With
0: with that, it's like if if you were ever on the landing or at a log yard and someone got in a crane that had a lot of experience running an excavator, you always stood really far away because the the control function to spin or, you know, to spin the excavator was the control function to open the grapple and drop whatever was in it, right? So you'd like watch someone who like always ran an excavator and they'd like pick a log up and then they go to turn and they like drop the log from like 30 feet up, you know? <laughs> so it was like, everyone ever ran this me. It's like, stand far away. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's
0: so, hysterical. You know, and it, was, it was funny because uh, I used to load trucks in the log yard at the office. And I always remember, you know, there was this Canadian trucker who came down and, you know, Canadian truckers, like their, their trucks are always just like completely mint. Like this guy had hardwood floors in his truck, you know, like it, it was always just spit polished and, and, uh, I like had, you know, I'd done some crane work, but I hadn't lo load, officially loaded any trucks yet. And he showed up one day and I was the only one there and like I was like, well, my boss will be back soon. My boss like wasn't showing up. So finally I'm like, I'm like, I can load you if you want, but I'm like, I haven't loaded a truck yet, you know? And he's like, Oh, it'll it'll be okay, you know. I think it took me like two hours to load his truck with three tiers of logs. And you know, he just sat there patiently, like he was a good guy, like like over my whole career at this company, like him and I, we got to be really good friends, you know. But by the end of my time there, I could. So it took me two hours, right? Like two, two and a half hours the first time I loaded his truck. By the last, by by the end of my career, I could load his truck in like twenty five minutes. Cool. <laughs> you know, it's just it's is crazy, and he he'd like he'd just park his truck next to the crane and he'd go into the office and talk to the secretary and like, just let me load his truck. Like he, he wouldn't even, he wouldn't even watch me, you know, he'd just be like, yeah, go ahead.
1: Load my truck. That's a start. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's uh that's some good insight into the, uh, the logging and, and forestry management world. Um, I had a unique experience, um, with Billy, so Billy had invited us up to the Freiburg Fair, which is um, in Maine, and they have a they have a freaking cat. <laughs> <laughs> they have a they have an awesome day. Um, about twenty thousand people. Um, it's called Woodsman's Day, and you said upwards of hundred and twenty competitors in. Yeah, I think it was a little over
0: hundred competitors there. Yeah,
1: in different disciplines um from you know you know working with skitters to the log trucks to loading them unloading them um billy's specialty is in the the world of axe work and saw work and uh so run us through some of the stuff that you've done there how you're how you're matching up to the competition um how long you've been in the industry and maybe a little bit of insight on what exactly timber sports is.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. So so kinda one of the things is, is um yeah on on the weekends when I'm not working in the woods then uh then I go and uh chop wood for fun and uh get to call myself a professional lumberjack athlete. And um yeah so it's basically um you know, it, it's kind of a cool sport because it takes a lot of old traditional uh, ways of, you know, the guys would have to fell trees or, or yeah. cut yeah. trees or process them, right? And then putting them into a competitive format, um, you know, and, and we don't use traditional tools anymore, right? We've we've developed um, tools specifically to do this faster and better, um, you know, so we're still using Axes. And we're still using cross-cut saws and single block saws, but these things are designed specifically for racing, and we're really picky about the type of wood that we put them in um, because if we were to hit a knot or something with one of those racing tools, we would destroy it, um, and then you're, you're pretty much out of luck. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, Timber Sports is kind of a – not only a national thing um but it's also a worldwide thing
1: so so before, before we get into that what's the history of timber sports i heard it 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 was kind of like a, an old pastime in logging camps um
0: yeah so basically yeah kind of got started um you know i mean guys sitting around what do they do they they challenge each other right so you know these guys are sitting around the logging camps on an evening or on a weekend um and they're like oh like i bet i could chop through a log faster than you or i bet i could saw through a log faster than you um you know and then they'd be like oh well, i don't think so you know so then they'd be like okay well let's pull up two logs and let's go at this and you know so so that's really how it got started um and then at some point people decide, well this could be entertainment and let's bring it down to the county fair, you know? Um, And that's kind of how it progressed from there, and then people were like, well, you know, we could make a specialized axe that, you know, you wouldn't want to swing all day in the woods, but like, for just racing through a single log could, you know, be way better. Yeah. You know, know, and it's kind of funny because, like, I guess, like, lumberjack sports is something that I feel like, you know, you'd really think, well, like this, this had to have started in the U.S., um, you know, with like lumberjacks and stuff. But, but it actually started in um, down in Australia, is where it started, right? And lumber camps down there is kind of where it got its original start, and then kind of progressed out from there. You know, came over to the U.S., came over to Canada. So,
1: yeah, that's yeah. cool. So, uh, yeah. you know, I had asked you where your axes came from and they're actually not from the u.s and they're not of a u.s style Um, yeah uh, give a little background on on the style of axe you use and and where where it comes from
0: yep yep yeah so there's there's only i think about four companies that make um competitive racing axes and um Pretty much all those companies are in either Australia or New Zealand. Um, And so one of the most popular uh, brands is uh, called Tuatahi, and they're out of New Zealand. And um, they just tend to have the best steel. Um, They've been around the longest, so they they know the tempering to get them just right. And, um, yeah, so most of our axes come from there. Um, I actually buy them as blanks um you know, rough ground to the degree that I want and then I'll actually send them to a guy out in New York typically um, that grinds grinds the axes and then we'll put different uh, different chisels, different uh, different types of grinds and hollows behind those grinds um, in order to to cut different wood. Um, you know, because cause depending on the angle of the axe and the edge of the axe and the relief behind that edge uh, can all dictate how that axe will penetrate the wood, but then also dictates what's mm-hmm. almost more important is how the axe comes back out of the wood. Um, because if you have an axe that's cutting really deep, and then, but then it sticks, and then you have to wrench it out every time, it sucks all your energy out and it wastes a bunch of time.
1: Now this may be an unfair comparison, but uh a while ago I had asked um, you know, an NASCAR driver how much how much when you want to win, how much is the car, how much is the driver. And if I remember correctly, I think like eighty percent of it is the car and how it's handling and the power and performance and and just how it's dialed and twenty percent is the driver. I mean, I guess at that level. Um, they're all talented, so mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously there's mix-ups or whatever, but the majority is like an 80-20 split. Um, When it comes to using your axe, how much is the axe versus how much is the competitor? Obviously, there's a very physical aspect to it. Not saying that there's not a physical aspect in NASCAR, but um, would you say that having the axe, uh, having a, you know, subpar axe or a C-level or B-level axe would no matter how good of a competitor you are, it's not going to run.
0: Yeah, uh, that's, yeah, that's kind of a hard question to answer. Um, it's, I, I, I mean, the equipment is very important. I mean, you can definitely tell like good equipment from bad equipment, but then the skill level of the competitor is also really important. So yeah. uh, I would I would really have to say maybe like a fifty fifty split or oh, even like a uh forty percent equipment, sixty percent operator. Um you know, even. So it's because because you could take a really good axe, like I could take a really good axe and hand it to you. And I could take a really crappy axe and we could Cut the same size block and I'd still blow you out of the water by now. <laughs> <head>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally sure.
1: <And> like <laughs> no like no like beginner's luck. No like, like be to no
0: beginner's luck. No. <laughs> no. I bet I'd be done and you wouldn't even be on the on the second half of
1: the log yet. I might have to throw it out one of these things. I might have to embarrass myself. <laughs> All right. uh, All right. Dead 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 straight face, no. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, that's great.
0: But, you know, but it's it's this sport is it's so much about the technique and yeah. the presentation. Right, whether whether you're chopping, it's it's how you how you present the axe to the wood. Um, you know, it, sound, it sounds like a weird term, but it's like it's like a term in lumberjack sports, right? It's like presenting the axe to the wood, and how you do that is going to dictate how that axe cuts. Um, and it takes a lot to get that right. Um, you know, and and it's one of those things of, of people always think, oh, the biggest guy's gonna win because the biggest guy's the strongest. And it's like I can beat guys twice my size all the time yeah. because my technique and my precision and how I'm presenting the axe to the wood is better than their brute strength just trying to get the block off. Um, you know, it's it's not about strength; it's about it's about being the most technical,
1: really good good shit so we we went over the entire gamut of what billy does from from uh forest management to logging in the early days to now uh timber sports and and uh you know looking forward to next season that was that was wild i i enjoyed it thoroughly um it's it's a nod to the old way i mean still seeing the uh the horses all yoked up and and uh you know pulling logs up there this you know the equipment side of things like the precision that some of these guys um with the logging trucks and i mean there were some big boys running around too (laughs) and then uh you know and it's it's all it's all ages i mean there was some there was some 80 plus out there you know still out there drop they might not be the fastest but you could see the technique um, yeah yep. male female um and then you guys collaborate too there's like uh in some of the saw races there was uh male and female teams um, Yep. so that was super super cool um little known fact billy you hold the record with your wife for what
0: yeah so we hold the record uh the world record for uh two cuts in an eight by eight timber uh, for Jack and Jill Crosscut. So,
1: hell yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. we set that back in 2018. So does that put you in the
1: Guinness book of world records or
0: no, it's just like a a record book of lumberjack times. Yeah. It doesn't really get to the Guinness book of world records, but Uh, yeah.
1: All right. All right. So if uh, anybody wanted to learn more about the sport, um, where are these the timber sport uh, events held usually? Is it more in the north? Is it all around the country? What time of year? And then also, um, where can they find you if they wanted to know more about the, uh, the forestry or, or your path or kind of wanted to reach out to you?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, uh, timber sports events and lumberjack events are, are really all over the country. Um, you know, you can find them in any neck of woods. Um and a lot of times there, you know, a lot of them will be at different fairs, you know, county fairs, state fairs. Um some competitions are big enough that they kind of host the competition as an individual event and then other things are kind of attached onto that. Um, you know, so there's some real big competitions in, you know, West Virginia and New York and Pennsylvania. Um, you know, up here in the New England region. Um probably I would say a third to half of the fairs um, have a lumberjack, some sort of lumberjack competition um, at them. So it's a pretty broad range of uh, events to be able to check it out at. You know, there's also the steel timber sports series, which, you know, a lot of you guys have probably seen on ESPN or ABC sports, you know, in the past. Um, you can also go to live events there and look them up online. Um yeah, and then you can find me. Uh the best place to find me is on Instagram and uh my handle there is, is NH Lumberjack. So
1: Hell yeah. Uh, well thanks yeah. for coming on the show, Billy. I look forward to next season and, and just hanging out with you. It's always a it's always a good time uh at these events. You're you're a pretty stand-up dude and well respected in the community. Um thank you very much for for taking this time to to dive into who you are and what you do yeah definitely anytime and uh we'll set up that shopping event and as a special thanks to our loyal listeners we're giving ten dollars off your next purchase of sixty dollars or more at bruntworkwear.com use discount code bucket 10 that's bucket 10